Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from GuideHouse. Join the FedHeads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of FedHead, sponsored by the good people at GuideHouse. And I'm always surprised she keeps coming back, but we're joined again by Mary Redding. Thanks for being here, Mary. Robert, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun the last two episodes. I'm back. Well, this one's going to be really great. We've got Doug Robinson, who runs the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, and my colleague and friend and partner, Graham Finley, who are no strangers to Fed heads. Both of them focus on the states, but they both think the feds have a lot to learn from their perspectives. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. So once again, you're here to talk about the release of your survey of state chief information officers. Give us the lowdown of what this year's report will reveal. What's new? You want to start, Doug? It's certainly not new, but it's a strong, I'll call it kind of post-COVID pandemic emphasis, and that is the theme of focusing on workforce and essentially the focus of the CIOs on building people and not systems. And I think that's highly reflected throughout not only a lot of comments that were received open-ended, but also throughout a number of our questions about their future perspectives in terms of what they're going to do post-pandemic and also what they're going to do around things like digital services. And through all of those, there's kind of a common thread that we, as we were doing the analysis, that we could all kind of see highlighted, which is that the talent management and workforce is a challenge, is a constraint. Retirements, recruitments, the remote work aspects, all of those things uh, have are reflected in a lot of different topics. So it didn't just appear in one. We asked specific topics about workforce and talent management, but it was it appeared in a number of other areas as being a major challenge around uh, modernization of the state, modernization and transformation, I, I think, of the state IT environment. And I would just follow up on that by stating that the, the states and CIOs in particular, are in a sort of interesting place where, on the one hand, we're coming out of the pandemic, even though the pandemic isn't really over, but we're looking at what's next, you know, sort of a post-pandemic normal. And some of the things that happened during the pandemic that are sticking and are going to remain for the foreseeable future, like hybrid work, remote work, you know, they're having to adapt to that. At the same time, continuing to try and address the needs that came up around citizen experience and digital services and so on. And one of the things that really led us, I think, part to this focus on workforce and people is the constraints that people have to deal with. At this point, it's always people complain about money, but now it's less about money than it is about capacity and actually having the people to accomplish the work, whether it's recruiting or partnering with the vendor community. It's a real challenge now even if funding is there, just to be able to achieve, you know, what they want to do. Um, so that's something that came, I think, through a whole, whole different number of parts of the survey. Is that true across the board in state governments that you're aware of, or is it particularly acute among CIOs? Across the board, Robert. In the last several months, just been fortunate in my speaking travels to listen to a number of folks, both in the budget side and the HR side, and I'm struck by a, a couple of things. One is the challenges that they're having across the board because they're now competing with salaries in areas uh, where that was not their benchmarks in the past. 
Uh, so they're seeing increased salaries in some of the areas where they would have not been competing head to head with these talent. The other challenge is the states are experiencing uh, 60 percent or more less candidates for the positions. And so, you know, the old what I call the post and pray model, which always worked, mm. um, doesn't work anymore because our processes need to be streamlined, that the talent and the candidates are not as robust as they have been. And, and a big part of the challenge for states is the fact that they their time to hire, and we've heard that from the CIOs, time to hire is ridiculous compared to the private sector. And so people are are essentially being able to be you know, being interviewed and being offered a job the same day. That's not going to happen in state government. I'd say in some areas of IT, as you mentioned, it is acute. Cybersecurity, that's a, it's a, that's a talent crisis for state government, the inability to recruit and retain cybersecurity professionals. So I think that's that's one area that the, the state CIOs are, are really hamstrung. Well, I'm really excited to read the report when it comes out on October 10th. Um, what are some of the biggest surprises for the the reader? We've got, of course, last year's report with, um, you know, in, in the middle of the pandemic. And, of, of course, as we are coming out of the pandemic now, what do you think is a biggest surprise in the report? And what do you think is going to stick as far as a best practice from the CIOs? I would lead off with, I mean, the, the point we were emphasizing workforce, that wasn't something we went into the survey expecting. I mean, we knew it was going to be something of an issue. We did not expect it to permeate everything in the way that it did. And so you know, see the survey come out, the title even has been, you know, we chose the people imperative as the title because that just came out in all these different areas. And we were not expecting that mm. to that degree. A lot of things remained relatively consistent in some of the areas we discussed around the challenges around business model, the critical success factors for a CIO. One thing that did shift significantly from last year, I think we asked the same question, was what kind of initiatives or priorities will remain post-COVID mm -hmm. that have sort of become important over the last couple of years? The one that jumped up close to the top was legacy modernization. It had been a little bit on the back burner, I think, for the last couple of years because of the challenges around, you know, moving to hybrid and, and so on. But so many of the state legacy systems were just exposed so badly with the capacity increases and demands that came up during the pandemic. There's a real focus now on moving to that and shoring up the weaknesses uh, where they've been, you know, demonstrated. You know, I, before we started, I mentioned this report, the survey that GAO released, Chief Information Officers, Private Sector Practices Can Inform Government Roles. I wonder if you've got an observation on where the private sector has something to teach state CIOs and whether state CIOs can teach their private sector counterparts something? Is there information sharing that you think would be useful between those communities? Well, I, I can reflect, and it's just not this survey, but it is, you know, a couple of decades of this work is that the, the, the majority of our state CIOs come from the private sector. And I can tell you the overwhelming majority of them are surprised how difficult the role is because it is unlike the authority and, and the capabilities and the business disciplines that they had in the private sector. So that's what certainly they can bring is I would say over time, we've seen a greater increase in what I'll call overarching just business disciplines, project management, you know, enterprise architecture. They can bring all of that, you know, service management, things that they may have had in the private sector, but they're gonna find that it's a much more challenging role 
and complexity because of I, I call it, you know, I, we do a thing I call navigating the pirate map, the CIO pirate map. And the challenge in state government is they keep moving the X on you every time you think you've got it figured out. And I think that's the that's something that you know, they have all said they don't in, in the in the public sector. Obviously, the major difference is transparency. And the fact that their life in the fishbowl, but they also have to really, in terms of their budget, in terms of testifying to the legislature, there's just a lot of different perspectives that they didn't have to do in defending what they're working on in the in the in the private sector. So I think that's why you look at the the hierarchy of the critical success factors, and it, it it's it's the same three. They may change positions, but it's. You know, their the role has changed a lot in the last several decades. And for the state CIO, it's now much more of a business leader of IT. Their 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 role is around strategy, their role is around communicating the business value of IT. It's around relationship management with their stakeholders, whether it's their agency customers, whether it's the legislative body, the budget office, the governor's office. It's it's just a much more complex ecosystem in terms of the, the business relationship management that they have to do. So have you seen any of the best practices at the state level following, you know, what the federal government is looking to do with the Digital Services Corps or uh, kind of the, the back and forth between the private sector and the public sector? In the survey, have you seen any of the states take a similar approach to solving this issue of recruitment? Well, I couple of different ways to tackle the question on the the collaboration with the private sector and sort of the adoption of some of the ideas around you know the digital services call for example we've seen that at various levels within various states and it's it's quite different in different places but we have seen a, a lot of that kind of collaboration and sort of you know the citizen you know the citizen code sort of concepts mm -hmm. are coming to the fore What's interesting, I think, on the um, you know the the recruitment and workforce side is some of the incentives that the the states are able to offer. They're not the same as the incentives that the private sector are able to offer, mm -hmm. and a, a lot of sense that they have to sort of differentiate themselves in a way. They can't compete on salary, so they have to try and compete on other things. You know, and I know Doug's been doing a lot of work for this for a number of years uh, around some of the things they try and do. Um, in terms of talking of the public service aspect of it, but also in thinking about, you know, the impact you can have as a member of the IT community in a state, you know, you can do things which might, might be, and the, the, the diversity of the experience as well is something that they really try and uh, promote. And who does a good job at that? I, probably a hard question to answer, but I, I was recently at the Service to America Medals, the Partnership for Public Service gives a, a wonderful set of awards to the top public servants in the federal government. And technology is clearly a thread that runs through all of them. So your ability to harness technology to advance an agency's mission for the betterment of the American people, the, the whole purpose of those awards is to highlight the importance of service. Um, who does that well? How, how could we do that better? All of our states do it well, Robert. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, my I forget to, those my are your job, customers. I forget those yeah, are your customers. My job, yeah, I can't, I can't rate or rank them. Yeah, yeah. But we do have, we have, the, I think, the longest sustaining national recognition awards for states. Uh, we're in our 34th or 35th year. So we'll be making those announcements. We've already made the announcements on the finalists. So you can look at those and you're right. So we are trying to highlight uh, those innovations and best practices and transformational activities. And you can see states doing a lot of things. I think the common the common theme about a lot of this is what I'll call 
uh, enterprise scale solutions and X as a service. I think we're going to see a lot of that is is the 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 and I hope we do in the future. We see more where the states have looked at these common across the business silo problems and said, well, you know, identity management. You know, why don't we have a a single uh, citizen centric identity digital identity management solution for the enterprise? that every state agency has to use. Those are the kind of things that we really like to see. So we're gonna recognize uh, projects like that. So I think that's gonna be, I think a, a, a common theme in the future is much more aggregation and collaboration within the states to come out with enterprise solutions that'll, that'll serve uh, citizens rather than try to have each individual agency kind of run the company store, which clearly is what's frustrating. And that, that was what frustrated during the pandemic. The citizens just didn't know how to navigate that. They didn't know how to communicate and interact with their the state agencies that they needed help from. They made the state, unfortunately, have made that very difficult. So uh, trying to corral all that is a, is a major role of the, of the state CIO. As a follow-on to that question, looking at the influx of funding from both um, the CARES Act all the way through to Bill and now the Inflation Reduction Act. Did you guys ask questions about about that to the state CIOs? How are they dealing with the influx of funding um, and managing that relationship with the federal government? Yeah, we did actually have a specific question around federal funding. It was focused on a couple of specific areas. I'm actually going to defer to Doug to answer the details. He's much more well-versed on that. But I think the you know, there are some sort of state cybersecurity grants, for example, are a particular, um, you know, topic that we wanted to cover. And Doug, if you want to talk about that for a second. Yes, yes, I could very well. You're right. The states, and particularly the state CIOs, uh, more under, I think, the CARES Act uh, did receive funding, and many of them were able to use both that and the rescue relief money. But they've been focused on the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act provision for states and local cybersecurity grant. Um, so we have actually, since the gu guidance just came out last week, came out Friday morning, the notice of funding opportunity came out from uh, CISA. We've been working closely with them. So that's a major thrust, particularly with the CIOs, because they are the lead on that uh, in the act. And it's a billion dollars, $1 billion over 40 years. Uh, and the majority of that, 80%, in fact, uh, will go to local governments, but the states are managing uh, and administering that grant program. And so that's been really, at, from, at least from the association's perspective, that's been the major focus uh, because we were actively involved in the legislation and promoting that funding. And so cybersecurity remains the number one priority for state CIOs and has been for nine years on our polling. Uh, so this is gonna be a very important opportunity. Uh, and again, a large part, portion of these funds go to local governments to uh, kind of improve their cybersecurity posture, cyber hygiene. So we'll see. It's just that journey has just begun this week. So we'll see how that plays out. But that's primarily how it's been committed is within um, within the cybersecurity space. Well, thank you both for being with us. Good luck at the conference. And we'll really look forward to uh, reading that report. You do a great service. This is a longitudinal survey of state CIOs that um, we look forward to every year and, and especially your appearance. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, a weekly podcast brought to you by GuideHouse.